and they re- recorded that, so good deal. Well, yeah, good to be here. My name is Roe Taylor. Um, as Paxton said, I <clears throat> serve as the RUF uh, pastor down at uh, Delta State in Cleveland, and I'm always just curious, any Delta State grads? You folks that went to Delta State back in the day? Okay, okay, good deal. Good deal. I know Mike uh, went to Delta State back in the day, so... Um, Every time Mike and I talk, we have a good conversation. I feel like we're kind of a, um, this is my first time at this church, uh, but we're kind of kindred spirits. So our ministry down at Delta State, um, we're a multi-ethnic ministry. We're predominantly, our, um, our ministry is predominantly African-American. So we have a lot of, I don't know, just good conversations when Mike and I get together and, and chat. So, But this morning, we're going to be looking at uh, Luke chapter 15. Excuse me. Luke chapter 15, this is maybe the, I'm guessing it's probably like the second most like well-known parable there is. This is the parable of the prodigal sons. And so what we're going to focus on, Jesus tells three stories in this passage. We're going to focus on the third one. And so he's talking to this huge crowd, um, this huge crowd of both sinners and Pharisees. Um, back in those days, it would have been like the, the really bad people and the seemingly really good people. So he's talking to this huge kind of mixed crowd. The first story he tells is about a man who loses a sheep and then finds it, and everybody rejoices. Um, the second story he tells is about a woman who loses a coin, and then she finds it, and everybody rejoices. And then the third story, and the one we're going to look at, he tells a story about a father who loses a son. And then he finds him, and he comes back, and everybody rejoices except that other son, except his brother. And so it kind of begs the question, who was really lost? Who was really lost in this story? Um, so we're going to read Luke 15, verses 1 and 2, and then skip down to verses 11 through 32. It's kind of a longer passage, um, so bear with me. Luke, and it's also on the screen, uh, Luke 15... Uh, Starting in verse 1. Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. Is that a different translation? It is. I'm just going to read what's on the screen since it's the same up there. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Verse 11. And he said, There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. 
And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. For this my son, this, this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, Look, these many years I've served you, and I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Amen. The reading from God's Word. Let's pray together. <clears throat> Father, we thank You for Your goodness and Your grace. We thank You that You're not a God who remains far off and distant, but You've actually drawn near and close to us by Your Spirit, through Your Word, and especially through Your Word made flesh in Jesus. So Lord, I pray that you would be with us this morning as we consider your word, that you would point us to the goodness and the grace, the truth of your gospel. Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. So back, um, back in 1983, it was the year after I was born, uh, a movie came out called Trading Places. It starred Eddie Murphy, Dan Aykroyd. Some of you may be familiar with it. The, the, uh, the Comedy Central version is probably the PG version that you want to show if you have young ones or maybe wait till they're just a little bit older. But the, the, the gist of the story is that these two billionaires bet $1 to see if one of their millionaire employees, if they can uh, bankrupt him and literally trade places, this is where the name of the movie comes from, they trade places with the millionaire employee with a homeless man. And so uh, Eddie Murphy played the homeless man, Dan Aykroyd played the rich investment banker employee, and so their, their plan and what they ended up doing was they ruined Dan Aykroyd's life and gave his house, job, everything to Eddie Murphy, the homeless man. And so there's a scene in the movie where they're showing... Uh, they literally gave his house to Eddie Murphy, uh, to Eddie Murphy's character, Billy Ray Valentine, if, you're, if you remember that name. Um, and they're showing him around and showing him his new house. And uh, he doesn't believe it. And so they're saying, like, hey, this is, your, you know, this is your kitchen, this is your bedroom, this is your den, this is all your stuff. And as he's walking around, he's like, uh, yeah, sure. And he's starting to, like, grab stuff and put it in his pockets to take it because he doesn't believe it. And at one point, they finally stop and say to him, say, you don't have to take these things. They're already yours. They're already yours. If you're here and just kind of checking out this whole Christianity thing, I'm so glad because this, this parable that we're 
looking at today is a picture of what God is like and what true Christianity is. And what, what the gospel says is that if you are in Christ, God is saying, like, everything I have is already yours. It's already yours. So that's the question we're going to ask this morning. Um, what is God like? Um, what do you think about God? What is God really, uh, really like? And I'm going to say one thing and then kind of get to, I'm going to come back to it at the end. But um, I read, this was a book came out a long time ago, and on kind of the attributes of God and what God is like. And the person who wrote it said this about God. He said, the most important thing about you, about me, is what you think about God. Um, and so we're going to look at this morning, what do we think? We're going to come to back to that at the end, I promise. Um, but we're going to look at what do we think about God. And I'm going to kind of put before you, I think there's three wrong ways to view and relate to God that we see in this passage. Um, and then... What is he really like? So the first wrong view, <clears throat> to use kind of cultural language today, that God is oppressive and needs to be canceled. That God is oppressive and needs to be canceled. We see this in the younger son. The parable starts by the younger son saying, literally, I wish you were dead. I wish you were dead. I wish you would divide your life. This wasn't like when he says, I want all my inheritance this wasn't an easy thing, like, okay, well, I'm just going to go to the bank and, and withdraw some money and give it to you. This was, okay, how many, like, cattle do we have to sell? How much land do we have to sell to be able to give you this money? So literally dividing his life to be able to give to this younger son. And so what it literally says is, I wish you were dead. I want you to divide your life. Um, and so we see how the younger son thinks by what he does. He wishes his father was dead. He moves very far away. And then he did whatever he wanted. <laughs> he blew through this cash like it was his job. Later it says through reckless living and prostitutes. He thought his father raising him as a father was oppressive. You know, in today's terms, you could say, and you know, I work on a college campus, you hear this kind of language, but... Um, today's terms, you could say that he, one, canceled his father and then and deconstructed that relationship. Um, and these are, this is a you know, wrong view, number one, how do we look at God that he's oppressive and needs to be canceled? And I need to say this, like, are there things that need to be, like, deconstructed? Of course. That's what Martin Luther was doing when he nailed the 95 Theses to the door of the church in Germany in the Protestant Reformation, right? The first thing he said, the number one on that list was, all of life is repentance. That's the Bible word for deconstruction, right? Repentance. <laughs> turning away from these other things and turning to Jesus. Um, that's what Luther was doing in the Protestant Reformation. That's what uh, Frederick Douglass was doing when he says, I love the Christianity of Christ and therefore I hate the Christianity of this land. The slaveholding religion is what he called it. Um, there is racism and sexism that has sadly found a home in many churches um, there is, like, pastor worship instead of Jesus worship that happens in many churches. There is all sorts of unchecked kind of power, abuse of power. Um, and those things, like, yes, we need to repent. <laughs> we need to turn from these things and follow the way of Jesus. <laughs> because God is, God is authoritative and making no apology for that. He is authoritative, but he's not authoritarian 
the scriptures say that God is love, and that's the fundamental thing about him. That is the fundamental thing about who God is, that God is love. Jackie Hill Perry um, came out with a new book this past summer um, called Holier Than Thou. It's about uh, God's, the holiness of God. And this is what she says in a book about holiness. This is what she says about, it's kind of the, the overarching theme, and this is kind of her summary of, of the book and what she's saying. She says, if God is completely holy, then he can't sin. And since he can't sin, then he can't sin against me. And since he can't sin against me, shouldn't he be the most trustworthy being there is? What she's saying is that his holiness is actually pointing to his love for you. It's pointing to his love. Um, all I'm saying, this first kind of wrong view of God, if that's you, like, yeah, there, there's maybe some things that need to be separated out that have been thrown in, but don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Don't throw out Jesus with these things that people have wrongly uh, associated things to him. Cling to him because God is love. All right, the second, second wrong view, that God is unforgiving and unrelenting. You also see this with the younger son. Uh, verse 14, he spends, he, he literally blows through all that money. Um, he's broke, he's homeless, he went to, to work taking care of pigs, which not only, you know, he's having to really work to get paid for the first time in his life, but that was a big no-no back then for him um, because it made him culturally unclean and unacceptable because he was working with an unclean animal. He wasn't like around uh, other people like culturally who were similar to him. And so that was a big no-no. He couldn't do things that he would have normally been able to do others. And verse 16 says, he longed to eat from the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. No one gave him anything. He had nothing. He had nothing. And so in his mind, he says, I'm going to go back and I'm going to prepare a speech. And I'm going to go deliver this speech to my father and just ask him if I can work for him. Like, not to be a son. I, don't, I, I know he's not going to allow me to, res, like, to be in a relationship with him. I just want a job. And that's when he went to go ask him. He, because he didn't think that his father, or as we're, this is about God, he didn't think that God was a God of mercy and forgiveness. He was confusing the character of God with the character of the Egyptian slaveholders in Exodus, right? Um, but God says throughout Scripture, the way he reveals himself is a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. You know, some of us may be like the younger brother here, that, that we can look back in our lives and we've, you know, maybe wished our father was dead or, uh, or um, uh, moved far away and blown through all our money with, with reckless living and prostitutes or whatever it may be. Maybe you've really blown it. Maybe you've done something that, that you don't think uh, your family, friends, or even more importantly, God could ever forgive you for. Um, in, in a weird way, when we do that, when we think like, man, I've, I've committed something so bad that even God can't forgive me for, in a weird way, that's actually like taking pride in our sin. It's like being prideful of like, man, I can outsmart God and I can outdo God. But you cannot outdo God's love. You cannot outdo God's love. Um, Look at some of the people in Scripture. 
Um, Moses, like, Moses killed a guy. Moses killed a guy and then ran away from God for 40 years and what God was calling to him for 40 years. But at that time when Moses died, the scriptures say that there was no one more faithful. Like there was no one better in a Christian, I guess, sense. No one more faithful than Moses. Um, David, King David, wrote like half the Psalms, uh, killed a guy so that he could then rape his wife. And it says that God loves him. God loves him. And even in Acts, it says that David is a man after God's own heart. Um, The younger son here says, I hate you, and I wish you were dead. Give me what's due so that I can get as far away as I can from you. And what does the father do when he sees that son coming back? He loves him. He runs out to him. And he kisses them up, the son who is unclean, who said, I want you dead, and I want my stuff. He pursues him. Now, I heard this story years ago uh, about a young man who, <clears throat> who left home, uh, just got addicted to all sorts of, of drugs, joined a commune, and the father tried to pursue him. The father did everything he could in his power to, to pursue him and get to his son, and the son wanted nothing to do with him. And so the father gets a call one night at 11 o'clock as he's in bed, and he gets a call from the police and says, you know, is this so-and-so? And he said, yes, well, I just wanted to let you know your son was arrested for a DUI, and he's in, he's in jail right now. And so the father gets out of bed, dead of winter, drives 30 minutes to the, to the jail, son's not there. Goes to the neighboring town to the jail, son's not there. Goes to the next town, the son's not there. Um, Finally, around 4 a.m., he goes to the, to the old abandoned crack house where he knows his son has been sleeping. And he walks through the house over sleeping bodies and sleeping bags and mattresses on the floor. And he, he finds his son. And he sees his son. And he stands over him quietly. And he kneels down and kisses him on the cheek and gets in his car and goes home. Not long after that, it says that the son, the son started kind of showing up around the house again and started going back to visit the family and would like hang out with them and like trying to pursue them back. And one day actually committed his life to Jesus and seemed legitimately happy. And about a year later, they were, he and the father son were out on a walk and, and uh, he asked, the dad asked the son, he says, hey, what was like, what happened that brought you back? Like, why did you come back? And the son stopped, like, on their walk and looked at his dad and said, Dad, don't you know? That night when we called you about the DUI and you went around looking for me and came to the house, like, that was a, we were just pranking you. And when you came to the house, I was just acting asleep because I wanted to know what you were going to do. And when all you did was bend down and kiss me, Dad, it was the kiss that brought me back. That's what brought me back. God is not an unforgiving and relenting God. He actually pursues and wants you back and will kiss you up when you come. Wrong view number three, that God only likes you if you obey. And we see this in the older brother at the end of the story. Um, The younger son repents. He returns. He repents. He's fully accepted by the father. Um, The older son is angry. 
He's out there pouting. He won't go into the party. And so the father goes to him, and this is what he says to his father. He says, all these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to. And in all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when the son of yours comes back, after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. That's what he said to his father. Um, he was angry. He was holding on to it. And you see how he was thinking of God, right? He had what you know, we could call a Coke machine view of God. <laughs> that you put your quarters in, you punch a button, you get the drink out, right? You put something in, you get it back, and you earn whatever it is you want. You do really good things, then God will accept you. Um, in other words, this is karma. This is karma. Karma is not Christianity. Karma is not Christianity. This is a false view of God. This is what the Pharisees in the Bible did. As long as I don't, you know, and fill in the list of bad things, however you want to, like, as long as I don't cheat, as long as I don't lie, as long as I don't bully someone, as long as I don't discriminate, as long as I don't kill, as long as I don't whatever, um, then I'm going to be okay. Or you fill that list of positive things and say, as long as I do, like, Pray before meals. As long as I go to church, like, you know, at least every other week. Um, as long as I uh, say churchy things, that then I'm going to be okay. And we all have this list of, like, good and bad things we should and shouldn't do, right? But here's the thing, and I want to say this kind of intentionally this way. Like, God doesn't care about your list. He doesn't care about your list. Christianity is not about following rules, it's not about following rules. It's also not about faith. It's not about grace. It's not about prayer. It's not about love. Christianity is about Christ. Christianity is about Christ and what he has done. The older son in this parable doesn't believe in God. He actually believes in himself. He actually believes in himself, in his own good deeds, in his own obedience, in his own righteousness. Um, Christianity is about Christ. There's a big Bible word that gets at this, that kind of corrects this wrong view of God, the karma, God, um, justification. Justification, it's an act of God's free grace that credits our sin to Jesus and his righteousness and holiness to us. Not because of anything you do. Not because of works, as Ephesians 2 said, lest anyone could boast. But only through faith. Only through faith. All right, so what is God really like? What is God really like? Well, let's look at the father in this passage. How does he respond to his younger son and to his older son? In love. With love. You know, the younger son, one, he actually grants him his request for, um, for his inheritance. Then he waits expectantly for his younger son to return. Just think about that. Like he was waiting for his son to return. We, um, uh, you know, people debate about like cat person versus dog person. We have both. I like both. Um, but we had a cat there in, in Cleveland that was amazing. Outdoor cat, indoor, like kind of combo. Both came in and out. And um, we're pretty sure something got her. Um, and so like for a week, the, you know, the cat didn't show up and, like, I just, like, our family would just, like, stand at the window and kind of look around and, like, wait for the cat to, like, walk back up. How much more would this father probably do that? 
with his son having left. Like just kind of, you know, he's working out in the field, he's sitting on the porch and just kind of like looking down the road. I'm waiting for this son to come back. And so when he does see his son walking back, his head held in shame, he probably recognized him like, I know that walk. I know that stride. I know my boy. Then he did something that fathers in that time did not do. He went and actually ran to him. And so you got to imagine these workers in the field like, man, that's the, that's like, that's the patriarch. And he's like hiking up his tunic <laughs> and running probably very slowly. They were maybe laughing at him too, but um, through the field, out the, out the gate to go see and love his son. And he didn't even let him get his speech out. You notice that? He didn't actually even finish the speech. He saw his repentance. He hugged him and he cried ugly tears of joy. What the, what the, the scriptures actually say is that he kissed him up. It wasn't just like, I'm going to give him a, go, a peck in the cheek, but like sobbing fell onto him and kissed his neck. Um, and then after that, they sat down across the table from one another and wrote out a contract of how he's now going to behave and what he's... No, <laughs> didn't mention any of that. Um, he said, hey, bring him, the, bring him the ring, bring him the robe, bring him the fattened calf, bring him the best of everything we have because we're going to throw him a party. And this is going to be a feast like we've never um, had before. And you know this because it said they heard dancing. <laughs> they heard dancing like they were having a throwdown, celebrating the son who has returned. But you also see how the father, even in that, loved the oldest son. <clears throat> in the midst of everyone like having this amazing party and feast to celebrate the return of the younger son, the father, in the midst of all of that joy, notices Hey, something's missing. And it's not something, it's someone. It's my other son, my oldest son, who won't come in. And the father doesn't just say, man, what a fundamentalist, like, religious Nazi. He doesn't say that. He goes out to him. And he goes out to him in love. And he asks him to come in. And the father says to him, look, hey, everything, everything I've had has always been yours. It's always been yours. Everything I have is yours, and he invites him into the party. The father says to both the younger son and the older son in this passage, hey, it's not about what you've done. It's not about the bad things you've done, younger son. It's not even about the good things you've done, older son. It's about my love for you. It's about how much I love you. And God says to you, whether you have that... Um, that view of God as oppressive who needs to be canceled or as, as unforgiving and unrelenting or as um, kind of the Coke machine karma thing. It's not about what you've done or haven't done. It's about his love for you as his beloved children achieved for you by your true older brother who doesn't stand outside the party just pouting, but who went to the cross on your behalf Christianity is not one more thing that depends on your performance, but it depends on Jesus' performance on your behalf. That's what God is like. That's what God is like. If you know, want to know what God is like, Hebrews 1 says, look at Jesus, because he is the exact, what it says, he is the exact imprint of God, of the nature and the radiance of God. If you want to know what God is like, Look at the Gospels. Look at Jesus. Look how Jesus loves and welcomes sinners. 
And look how he also invites the, the Pharisaical uh, folks to repent as well. I'll finish with this story. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, it's in a book by a guy named Ricky Jones, who also used to be an RUF in Delta State and Mississippi State and way back in the day. Um, but he, he tells this story about um, a young boy who witnessed some very awful things that his dad did to his mom, and she ended up um, dying from it. And the young boy was placed in foster home. Um, and so for about the next six years, he averaged probably two homes per year. So do the math, that's about 12 different foster homes in which he was abused in each of them. And so as he was about nine years old, um, he ends up getting adopted. But one of the side effects of that abuse was that he became a chronic bedwetter. And so as he's like going out to eat for this first night with this family, he says this secret that you can imagine he was just hanging on to. He says to them, hey, I, I have to tell you something. That I wet the bed every single night. And you've got to imagine he's probably just expecting them to turn, you know, take him back to the foster agency, right? Um, they didn't do that. They looked at him and they said, then we'll change your sheets in the morning. We'll get some breakfast and you'll still be our son. And we'll still love you. What is God like? God is like that. It's not about what you've done. It's not about what you haven't done. It's about what he has done on your behalf because he loves you. Because he loves you. That's the message of the gospel. That Jesus can overcome your, your past skeletons in your closet, your, your bedwetting uh, present. Um, and he actually like loves you to invest in your future, to throw you that party. <laughs> and invite you into it to enjoy it. He's inviting you into his family because of what he's done on your behalf. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that that is what you're like. You invite us into your family not because we've earned it, not because we've done some really great things, not because we've not done bad things, but because you love us. And because you love us and you like us, you don't just want us in your family, you actually want to be with us and be around us. So Lord, we thank you for that, and Lord, we, we recognize, I recognize even that, that that can be a very hard thing to believe. And so I pray, God, that you would be with me and my friends here uh, by your Holy Spirit, to, as Romans 5 says, to pour the love of God into our hearts. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.